All right, we are in 1 Timothy, all right, and we're just going to continue on. We're actually going to get more than one or two verses done today, hopefully. So uh, we are moving on in 1 Timothy on our whole looking at battle for heart, that uh, Paul, this uh, veteran, the salty veteran, if you will, uh, and and the Lord, he has been setting up churches and He's gone through many battles, all right, been stoned several times, not the, but the actual throwing stones at him. Uh, he's been whipped several times. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by a poisonous serpent. I mean, he's been through the gauntlet, right? He's got scars to show how much he actually believes uh, in Jesus. It's not just talk for him. And he's pouring into this young uh, disciple of his, uh, and he's cherished like a son, uh, which happens when you get into battle with someone, you draw closer to them. They become your, your actual brother uh, when you're there fighting next to each other. And he, this disciple, Timothy, uh, who this letter is addressed to, he's on the front lines in one of the darkest cities. And last uh, time we were together, we learned in our history of Ephesus about the riot, okay, about several, 15 years before this letter was written, there was this riot that Timothy had known about where uh, Paul had proclaimed the gospel message and people were turning away from all the wickedness and witchcraft and, and throwing away all that stuff and it was causing a, uh, a, the ec- economy there to take a hit because they got all their money from all their idols that they were making. So a riot came out. What we learned from that is that when God creates a revival, Satan causes the riots, all right? When a ministry is really starting to make headway and taking ground... backlash is coming. It's expected. As Christians, we have to be battle-ready at all times. There is no such thing as peacetime as a Christian. You you are in a battle or you're in training for the next one. There is no, no, you got to get rid of this that we're in peace and comfort. We live in America where we don't have to worry about being bombs being dropped on us, but there is a battle taking place every day for your heart. And Paul is talking about that. And we also learned from this whole story about Ephesus is that uh, I want you to realize you are going to grow up and you are going to offend someone. So you have to decide who you're going to offend. You are either going to please all of the world and offend God, or you're going to please God and offend the rest of the world. You have to choose who, you're, who you are going to offend. We also realize that when all this story takes place and then Paul uh, it's the riot is squelched, and then Paul comes and he meets with the elders of, of Ephesus, and he says, "Hey, listen, amongst your own selves, the leaders, the protectors of this flock, there's going to rise up these false teachers." He gives the warning, because here's the way Satan works: is he if he can't get you to fall by doing the head-on uh, war of attrition, right? He's going to come in a more sneaky route. He's going to come within. He's going to do a more subtle attack. He's going to play that double agent type thing. We saw this. This shouldn't be any big surprise because Judas, all right? Look at Judas. He was with Jesus his whole ministry, but he was a secret agent. He wasn't the real deal. And the same thing is happening in Timothy's day and is still happening today. And so the threat isn't so much outside the church walls, if you will. It's actually coming from within. And here's what I need you to remember. It's a great quote that uh, Mark Driscoll, he says, and it's uh, more and more I'm realizing how true it is, is that God creates and Satan counterfeits. 
Satan can't create anything. He simply takes what God has created and he distorts it and he makes it uh, something else to hook us, to draw us away from God. So everything God creates, Satan makes a counterfeit to draw people away from God. So it's not surprising that false teachers are starting to take place and it's starting to, the teaching starting to take place in the church. And Satan, as we know, Satan appeal, appears as an angel of light. All right, He's not the, the red uh, horned pitchfork type thing that we see in cartoons. He appears as an angel of light, and so he gives just enough of those truth without, without coming out and saying the real truth to deceive people, to get them to go a different way. So false teaching is arising within the church and, and leading others away, while, and, and at the same time, they're attacking Timothy's credibility. So Paul, he establishes who he is as an apostle. He says, hey, I established you there as an apostle. You were there sent by me. God sent you through me to Ephesus, basically. And then in verse 3, remember he said, when I left you for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and to stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. All right? He doesn't say, hey, the false teaching, tolerate it, find the good in it, and then, you know, adapt it type thing. He says, no, stop it. Just stop it right where it's at. You need to kill it before it kills you. He also says something else that's very controversial to today uh, in the area that we live. He says, whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Paul is saying that there's such a thing as absolute truth. That's something that is just so controversial in our day and age. So, moving on. What is taking place? What is this false teaching that's taking place then? And next, next week, we're going to get into more of the false teaching. We're going to bring it home even more in the false teaching that's rising up within our own uh, Christian circles today. But verse 4, all right, don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So what's this false teaching? I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. Most of the scholars and commentaries I was reading, they don't really know. They, 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 have, they have their guesses, but this whole discussion right here, it really... It puzzles them because it's not the normal false teaching that was taking place in other places. But uh, your translation, depending on what it says, it might say myths and endless genealogies or something along those lines. And basically what was happening is the false teachers, what they speculate is that the false teachers were trying to go back in their genealogies to say there was some divine, uh, they had some divinity in their family blood, all right? that something happened, and so that's why you need to listen more to what I have to say, even if it goes contrary to what you've heard the apostles and others say, you need to listen to me because this is who my grandpa's grandpa, 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 dad was, all right? This is, that, that's how it would go, and it would, that's how they would establish their authority. So, but Paul, regardless, Paul says, you know what, it's enough for him to actually address because he realizes there's something more on the line. It's eternity, all right? Eternity is on the line. And here's the thing about most false teaching is it actually begins off as kind of really uh, something small and silly, all right? We think about genealogies, like that's kind of silly. And the same thing is true for false teachings. It's kind of like the seeds, right? We don't really realize uh, what this might grow into being, all right? It could be something that we eat, could be a tree, it could be, or it could be a weed, all right? But that's how false teaching is. It, is. it starts off as something really small, and we might not catch it. 
if we haven't tuned our ears to catch it. We, and then all of a sudden it grows, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, how did this all of a sudden come about? How did we get here? It started off as something very small and silly. All right. So we need to be aware and develop thinking so that we recognize when something small starts happening and we take that to its logical conclusion. All right. Reasoning is common. Uh, common sense is not common at all. And, and reasoning is something that's very much lacking in our day and age. And we might think, oh, I'm just going to recognize when this false teaching happens. Here's a great quote from J.C. Ryle. I love this. He says, false doctrine does not meet men face to face and proclaim it is false. It does not blow a trumpet before it and endeavor openly to turn us away from the truth as it is in Jesus. It does not come before men in broad daylight and summon them to surrender. It approaches us secretly, quietly, insidiously, plausibly, and then in such a way as to disarm man's suspicion and throw him off his guard. It is the wolf in sheep's clothing and Satan in the garb of an angel of light who have always proved the most dangerous foes of the church of Christ. This was true back then, and it's still true today. It becomes something very small, and then it grows. So how do you keep yourselves from being deceived and protect the heart of the gospel? Secret service. All right, when they... They, they protect our currency. They make sure that the counterfeits don't get out into the world because then it, I'm not going to get into economy lesson right now. Anyways, they have to protect and make sure that counterfeits don't get into the, the mix, right? So how do they train them to fit, pick out the fakes? They, handle, they have them handling, have the secret service agents handle the real deal because the more they handle what's true, when all of a sudden they get their hands on something that is false, they can recognize it just like that. So they will spend hours on hours of just feeling and all the different things of a real currency so that when all of a sudden they get their hands on something false, they can instantly do it. So the way that we keep the heart of the gospel, the way that we can tune our ears to be able to say, oh, nope, that's not true, that is not from God, is that we have to know the word. We have to know it inside and out. I don't know if you guys have ever read the Bible through in a whole year, but I would challenge you to start doing so. And if you need a plan to do it, I, I have a plan that's always worked for me several times that I've done it. You read four chapters a day. Basically, I do two uh, chapters in the Old Testament, one of the uh, poetry books, and then one in the New Testament. That way, when you get to Leviticus and you're having to read four chapters of Leviticus, you don't decide, I'm done, type thing. All right, It spices it up. It keeps it more... Uh, and allows you to see the Bible as a whole, all right? So we have to know the Word. And I want to be clear, as you're reading God's Word, not to allow the false teaching to take root in you as well, because if you read something in here and you're like, I don't quite agree with that, you're wrong, okay? You don't get to edit, you don't get to dissect and pick out what you like, what you don't like. This is from God Himself. You don't get to choose. So, if there's something in here that you're like, ah, that makes me feel uneasy. I don't like it. Okay, that's great. You're the one that's in the wrong, so you need to fix it. Like, you need to ask God, help me to fix this in me because it's exposing who I really am. So, we don't get to choose, all right? At false teaching, they like to add or subtract. That's what they do. They like to take God's word, and they're like, okay, we're going to add to this, all right? We're going to go into legalism, or we're going to take away from this, and we're going to go into more of these false teachings, 
When it's not based on God's truth, then it is not surprising it doesn't help the people. And that's where we need to get to. Verse 5. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. All right, false teachers. Paul's putting out the contrast. False teachers were all about themselves. They were whatever they could do to benefit themselves, to get the money, to get the power, whatever it was. And Paul here is saying, hey, look, I'm not looking to benefit myself. All right, I got all that I need. He said, I've learned to be content with what I've gotten. He's looking to benefit others, to glorify God. So he plays this contrast. And it's the same thing with the seeds again. I, I don't know my trees, all right? That one has leaves, that one has needles. That's all I really know when it comes to trees, all right? But uh, what I know is when I grew up, we had an apple tree and a pear tree. You know how I knew that? Because of the fruit on the tree. That's how I knew, all right? And the same thing is true with the false teachings and stuff. As the seeds grow up, all right, we see, we look at what is that producing. We look at the person that's proclaiming the message. What does their life produce, and then that helps us clue in if they're worth following and if the teaching is true or not. What we know is that the gospel is always going to lead towards unity, whereas false teaching is going to lead to division. God is about unity. Satan's about chaos. All right? And he goes into saying that the purpose of everything is love. All right? This is a love for first God, but then a genuine care for one another. And so many today, they compromise the truth out of love which is very unloving, all right? If I know the truth is, is that if you take this poison and I don't say that, I'm being unloving and I allow you to drink it, all right? That's unloving. But Satan has counterfeited this love that God has and has created and it flows from him and they call it today tolerance. Tolerance used to be that you and I could disagree and still accept each other's different viewpoints. Now the definition has literally changed. If you looked up the definitions of way back then and now, it's literally changed out. Now tolerance means you must accept the different views of others. I have to accept it. It means now I'm intolerant unless I start putting the hashtag and I join the parade and I fly the flag. Then I'm intolerant. Well, what about unity, Richard? I mean, come on, we need to do the... Uh, kumbaya Christianity and just sing around the fire and it doesn't really matter and all this kind of stuff. Listen, the way that false teaching has come into the church is under the banner of unity, thus compromising its purity. God calls us to find unity under his truth, under the gospel, and thus remain pure. Another quote from J.C. Ryle, this is a long one, so keep with me here, all right? To keep the gospel truth in church is even of greater importance than to keep peace. The Apostle Paul valued unity very greatly, as we know, but, there, but here he runs the risk of all consequences that follow. Why? Because he dreaded false doctrine. He feared the loss of truth more than loss of peace. Many people have morbid fear of controversy. They would have said with Ahab that Elijah was a, a disturber of the peace. They would have thought that Paul at Antioch went too far. To maintain truth in the church, men should be ready to make any sacrifice to hazard peace, to risk dissension. They should no more tolerate false doctrine than they would tolerate sin. Peace without truth is false peace. It is the very peace of the devil. Unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. It is the very unity of hell. Let us never be ensnared by those who speak kindly of it, 
False doctrine and heresy are even worse than schism. But what is schism? Is it not the false doctrine that rends the body of Christ? If people separate themselves from teaching, which is positively false and unscriptural, they ought to be praised rather than reproved. In such cases, separation is a virtue rather than a sin. The old saying must be forgotten. He is the schismatic who causes a schism. Controversy in religion is a hateful thing. If it is hard enough to fight the devil, the world, and the flesh without private differences in our own camp. But there is one thing which is even worse than controversy, and that is false doctrine, allowed and permitted without protest or molestation. Unity, quiet, order, give beauty, strength, and efficiency to the cause of Christ. But even gold can be bought too dear. Unity, which is obtained by the sacrifice of truth, is worth nothing. It is not the unity that pleases God. Again, you're either going to offend all the world and, and, and please God, or you're going to please God and offend all of man. It's, it, you can't have both. All right? Love, he goes on to go, to go on. He goes, says that love comes from a pure heart. This is, uh, the heart is regarded as the inward part of the person, the center of one's spiritual and, and thought life. All right, and it says he comes from a clear conscience. This means there's no hidden motive like the false teachers. All right, the false teachers give that persona, hey, I'm for you. This is who I am, and, and I'm looking out for the best of you. Just send me $50, and I will pray for you. You know, they, they have this hidden motive, all right? Uh, and, and, but for us, this love, it should come from a clear conscience that you, there is no hidden motive except for the benefit of the other person. And then faith. All right, that means following God. It, it, faith is a verb, all right? It's not just a mental exercise. It is putting into practice and action what you actually believe. Verse six, but some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. Some would rather talk in theory instead of reality. We call this college. Verse seven, they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they speak so confidently. Listen, people are always looking, you know, for that title, the honor with that title, all right? I want you to realize just because they have, a person has more degrees than Fahrenheit doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. We, like I said, you have to know the truth. And this is the only thing that is true in this whole world. And so we have to know it inside and out so that we recognize the truth. And that can sometimes be like, well, who am I? All right. I'm just this student. And this is a college professor that's up here. And he surely knows more than I do. Well, 1 Corinthians 1.18. I'm going to close with this. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God, as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching 
to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those who called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing the, the, what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom himself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. In a world that is all about pride, I will stand proud of who Jesus is and the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to change lives. And I will stand proud to be counted as a fool by the world as I boast about my God. And the question is, how about you?